0: Welcome to Crooked Sticks. This is Kane Quinones. Welcome, everyone, to the fifth episode of Crooked Sticks. Uh, Our last episode was about the importance of small groups. Um, And today I have another good friend with me, Emily Catherine Dalton. Uh, She's here to talk about another important topic, and that's biblical femininity. So Emily Catherine, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: Yeah, I would love to. First of all, super excited to be here. And yeah, I live in Rome, Georgia, which is where I went to college, graduated from Berry College in 2016. With a degree in psychology and minored in Spanish and women and gender studies, which is where I studied a ton on this issue and um, definitely expanded my understanding up to that point and now work in college ministry with the WindShape College Program and also run a blog where I get to share a good bit about this issue, but also love to highlight some female authors in the Christian living realm.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, MK and I both graduated together from Barry and from Winshape and we're good friends in college and since we've graduated and um, both got hired at the Winshape College Mm -hmm. Program and you've actually just accepted a full-time position with the Winshape College Program, so congrats again on that. Thanks. Um, Yeah, so just to jump right into our topic today... If you could sum it up, what is biblical femininity supposed to look like Mm -hmm. and how is that different from biblical masculinity?
1: Yeah. Um, It's interesting. Kane and I were talking and... I said, you know, it's going to be hard to really sum up how much I want to say, um, because I am so passionate about this issue. And last week was having lunch with a student who said, okay, how much time do you have left? Because I want to ask you a question about faith and gender. Um, So this is definitely an issue I'm so passionate about. And so to sum up, biblical femininity is difficult to me (laughs) because I could go so many places. But I think it's great to start at the very beginning at our origin. Of creation. So we see going back to the Genesis account that God creates Adam, he creates animals, creates the earth, Um, and then he looks around at all of creation and says, Okay, nothing is suitable with Adam, and he creates Eve. And we see this passage where God says, I'll create a helper suitable for him. And right here is where so much controversy begins. You know, it's only in the second or third chapter of Genesis, and we see this immediate split of how we understand women. And so to go back to the Hebrew here of woman, we see that it's azer which means helper. And then that next word suitable is connecto. And this is so important because I think for so often in so many centuries, we've highlighted the importance of the woman being a helper, and we've overlooked her suitability. Yeah that that the key feature of Eve being brought to Adam's side was not so much for her to help him as much as it was that she was at an equal level of creation and of imaging God. Yeah. And that is first and foremost, the most unique feature of biblical femininity is that we image God. Yeah just as the man did. Um, that's our first calling is to glorify Him and to bring Him glory. And And many people explain the idea of gender by saying that God placed His image bearers on the earth and split it in half between man and woman. And I'll share a little more about how I actually see that as a little bit more fluid between the two mm-hmm. versus some strict categorizing. Um, but this idea of this Azer Konegdo of helper suitable, we see over and over again in the Old Testament in the Torah, when we see God being the helper suitable that Israel needs in battle. That this same phrasing, the same phraseology that's used to describe Eve in distinguishing biblical femininity is what's used to describe the courage that God has to help his people in battle, even when it felt hopeless.
0: Yeah, one way I've heard it before is specifically linking that to what biblical masculinity looks like. Mm-hmm. And it's very much in the context, I guess, that I'm talking about in marriage. Like yeah. that, a lot of this controversy does come up a lot of times. Absolutely. But, um, in
1: the vows that you say, yeah, at your wedding yeah, ceremony. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I think something that I learned with Abby and I going through premarital counseling is the woman being a strong helper Yeah. and the man being a servant leader. Mm-hmm. And if those mm-hmm. were switched at all to where, a man was a strong leader and a woman was a servant helper that Mm -hmm. immediately creates this gap of inequality of a woman is just a helper. Like you said that it's, it's actually a woman that's suitable and is filled with courage and strength. And like there are differences there in how they bear the image of God, Mm. but that does not make a woman weak or just a servant helper But distinguishing that as a strong helper and a servant leader, I think, kind of puts into perspective how we do bear the image of God a little differently.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, and to, to answer the question, too, of how do I see biblical femininity being different from biblical masculinity, sometimes I wonder if that's the wrong question. And I wonder if that's what we've been asking for so long is that we've worked so hard to understand and taught so many lessons based on our experiences so much more than any true research or a lot of times any true statements of Scripture of saying, okay, how is biblical masculinity different than biblical femininity versus saying how do we image God together? And I think you alluded to that so well. Um, And anytime we talk about this idea of how we image God together first starts with that we are all serving and we're all reflecting. Um, I think a lot of times when we tend to get these roles really out of balance begins with pride and begins with saying, hey, like, I'm going to lead and I'm going to take charge here or I'm going to manipulate to make sure I have all the power, when we have to first start with humility of we're all just reflecting Jesus. Like, man and woman, we together make up the image of God, and that is first and foremost our purpose. Um, So, yeah, sometimes I wonder if that's the wrong question, and maybe the right question is how do we best come together? to image God, because I think in that is where we have so much better of a perspective of how we come together and serve one another to best come alongside each other in sanctification.
0: Yeah. And what would you say are some misconceptions of what biblical femininity looks like?
1: Yes. This, again, is um, what I could preach on for a very long time, and um yeah, I think it was really interesting, the time period that we grew up in, in the youth yeah. ministry culture,
0: mm-hmm. that
1: we were a part of, um, of the age of a couple books coming out that were very specific on these issues. And one that I read was on Biblical Womanhood, and it said that the three important things that a woman wants to do in her life is to be pursued, to portray beauty and to play a supporting role on a great adventure. And this was kind of the message of biblical femininity when we were coming into youth ministry culture. Yeah. Was, you know, the goal of a woman is to portray beauty. And we jumped in so heavy in the girls ministry world on modesty and on body image. Um, And then this idea of being pursued by a man. And that's where we see the kind of his princess culture of just wanting to be pursued by a guy. And honestly, um, just a lot of ways that women were restricted from expressing themselves in relationships because we were just told that you wanted to be pursued by this perfect person and very rarely given the resources to communicate what we wanted or what we needed in a yeah. relationship. Um, and furthermore, the idea of playing a supporting role in a great adventure is really hard for me
0: Yeah,
1: because when I look at so many women in scripture and the role that God had for them, I don't think that Esther played a supporting role when she risked her life to go in front of the King of Persia and stand up for Israel. And I don't think that Deborah played a supporting role when she was appointed as a judge to be this military leader for Israel. I don't think that Mary played a supporting role when she was the first one to be told that the Messiah was coming and to give birth to him. I think that the Lord has roles for each and every one of us. And for us to say that our roles are either the front and center roles or the supporting roles based on our gender, I think is a way that we really limit what God can do. Mm-hmm. And we really limit even the expansion of the kingdom by limiting close to 50% of the population that make up that kingdom. Yeah. And so I think those are the misconceptions that we're so focused on beauty and so focused on what we can portray and how we can be seen as beautiful that we don't also ask the same big questions about who God is and who we are. Um, and that's where I think women's ministry can get it wrong. If we focus so much on making crafts together and don't focus on talking about how to be good leaders in our workplaces, um, I think are a good number of misconceptions. Yeah.
0: And I think the way you said it too, the word support, And going back to what you said earlier about everybody under the kingdom of God should have this posture of service. Absolutely. That it's not just supporting someone that, like some human that is greater than you, but it's how can you, like, how can everybody have this posture of service? Mm -hmm. Um, And you see that all throughout scripture with women in scripture. How are they they serving the Lord in something they've been called to? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so this is... uh, I warned you about this question and this might be a trigger word for some people, but how do you feel when you hear the word submit?
1: Yeah, I was thankful for your warning for that because I even have a physiological response to hearing the word submit and hearing the word submission. And I've been really thankful for a few women whose teaching I've sat under that have also warned us about that trigger coming up. And I think for those of you who maybe haven't been in a conversation regarding biblical gender roles, like it's so easy to overlook how hard of a word that can be. And I'll share more about my background, but I have witnessed firsthand women being abused under the name of submission. And I've experienced girls experiencing sexual abuse under the name of submission and I think it's it's such a hot topic issue because it's so related to how we view the value of men and women it's related to how we structure our families and structure our churches it's related to how we parent um, boys and girls differently and it's so important but we're so afraid to have conversations about it because it's been so abused And so, how I feel when I hear the word submission is remembering how much it's been abused. Yeah. And that's what comes to mind first and foremost. And, and we talked about this Ephesians 5 chapter that talks about, you know, the man is the head and then the wives submit to your husbands. And again, very similar to how we interpret that chapter in Genesis, what we overlook is in Ephesians 5, just before that verse, in verse 21, it says, you know, I even went back and looked at the Greek at this to make sure I had it right, <laughs> of saying, hey, both husbands and wives submit. Yeah. Both of you. And so it all begins with mutual submission.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the husband is also supposed to submit to... Like, both of them are submitting to the will of the Lord. Exactly. Like, that's what... And as long as you're submitting to the will of the Lord, you're going to live more out of your identity as who he's created you to be. Yeah. Like, as a man, if I submit to the will of the Lord, I'm going to be living out more of my identity in Christ as a man of God that Mm -hmm. is... Pursuing biblical masculinity, mm-hmm. as my wife pursues and submits to the will of the Lord, she's going to be living out more of her identity in Christ and a yeah. woman of God and pursuing biblical femininity. Yeah. So submitting to one another, and submitting to the Lord, everything that you have—it's mm-hmm. not just wives well, submit to the husband. A husband is kind of go back to what I said. Like a husband's not a supposed to be a strong leader he's supposed to be a servant leader. He's supposed to be serving yeah. his wife and submitting to the Lord. And that's, that's where I, I, I completely agree right before mm-hmm. that it does say you submit to one another.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. And I think it's so interesting to, you know, you've so naturally, as we've talked about this issue, jumped right to marriage. And that's exactly what this passage of Ephesians is talking about yeah. is it's, it's in the context of a marriage yep. and what's hard for me is seeing the way that we've taken what our, what roles are defined as a little bit more explicitly in scripture in a marriage and translated them to all of how genders interact. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've, again, seen this abused in dating relationships in the church where boys are told, hey, you're in charge, and the girl is told, hey, like, I'm just supposed to follow his lead, and they take advantage of that, and they manipulate that. And that's, again, where this submission word has been so abused, is people taking that way too far and forgetting that that first means perfectly submitting to Jesus, yeah. And that is the most important step for all of us is for each of us to submit to Jesus. And, and as a single woman, my job is to submit to Jesus. Yeah. And I think that's where we need to be equipping people so much more in the body is how do we submit to him? How mm-hmm. do we perfectly image him and obey him, but begin in a posture of humility and begin not imagining that we know everything but really seeking His plan and His will. And and I think what I love too about that passage in Ephesians is that it says, you know, both of you submit. And it says that Christ is the head of the church. And the way that the man is supposed to be a head over a household, as Paul's prescribing there, is the same way that Christ is to be the head of the church. And what we see in the way that Jesus interacted with women is really different than any idea of biblical submission I've ever been taught.
0: Yeah.
1: Because Jesus places such a high value on women. The first person to ever be told that Jesus would come and dwell on earth is Mary. And the first people who find out that Jesus has been resurrected are women. And the Mm -hmm. longest dialogue in Scripture is with the woman at the well. And so many of Jesus' interactions just consistently expressed so much value to women. And so if the husband is to be this head of the household in the same way that Christ is the head of the church, what I never see that looking like in the life of Jesus is taking charge and Stepping over women, yeah. I see that as Jesus really sitting and investing value in women, and so again, you know what we're talking about here is in a marriage, yeah, not in the context of how genders interact in the church. Yeah, and
0: I think it's interesting too because like this is by no means the only scripture that's ever taken out of context, but right. you, but you'll hear a lot of people say, and I I just heard this in another podcast that I just listened to is. Yeah. To be wary when someone says, oh, but Scripture's clear about this. And, like,
1: yeah. if
0: someone ever says Scripture's clear about something, Scripture is filled with different types of writings. Yeah. And, like, there are certain specific contexts that is is clear about things. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, like, what we've been talking about. Like, where it's taken out of context is it's very clear in what a marriage is supposed to look like in submitting mm-hmm. to one another. But, and right before that, it's clear about submitting everybody to the Lord. But when you take that next verse out of context, say, Oh, women are just supposed to submit to men. Right. Like that's, if you're saying that's clear, that's just not, I don't know what you're like, how you're interpreting it, you know? Yeah.
1: And I think that's so important, you know, not just in, in this topic, but in so many things to whenever you have a question to really listen to both sides of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And that's, how my journey has developed of learning so much about biblical womanhood. Yeah, is, so touch
0: on that. Yeah, so like, like what was your experience of like
1: yeah. what
0: a woman's role in the church was growing up? And yeah, <laughs> touch on that.
1: Yeah, so Cain knows my story very well <laughs> um, as we've spent a ton of time together. But my story began in a very small rural town. And being a member of a church where I learned so much. um, But a church whose discipleship model was, okay, the husband is the head of the family. And so we are going to disciple the husbands and therefore they'll disciple their families. And it's so easy to hear that model and to poke holes through it now, especially. And and this was before so much of the crisis of fatherlessness that's in our communities now and in so many broken homes. But that was the discipleship model. And I think a lot of times when we talk about messages that are sent to women in the church, they're a lot more implicit. But I experienced very explicit messages. I remember being told that the boys' spiritual growth was more important than ours. And it was important to not answer all the questions because they needed to grow, too. And... I never experienced any woman on any stage in the church unless she was singing a solo and never experienced a woman in any role of leadership other than teaching my Sunday school classes until we got into middle school and then we were too old for women to teach our Sunday school classes anymore. Um, This was a church where they weren't completely comfortable yet with women wearing pants not just on Sunday morning, but throughout the week. And a church, again where I experienced so often women being especially emotionally abused under the name of submission. I saw people using their power in their gender to really abuse women in the church and that's part of where my passion comes from so much and gender is during that time i learned so much i learned so much about the lord um i memorized scripture and memorized my books of the bible and it was such a a beneficial time in my life but what i learned about gender was that men were leading and genuinely the women there was no women's ministry we gathered in the kitchen And that's not an exaggeration. We were in the kitchen for the church homecoming dinners and the church covered dishes. And I learned so much about what size doily went under which piece of crystal and learned so little about what it was going to look like to carry myself as a woman of God. Yeah. And I never heard teaching on women in Scripture except for Mary at Christmas and yeah. Mary Magdalene at the tomb. And and so what I learned about God during that time was honestly that, that I didn't really matter. Um, I remember the first time I experienced kind of asking the question of, Okay, if I were to pass away and go to heaven, what would conversing with Jesus be like? I remember thinking through that, and it felt really scary to me because any example of ministry in my life was very distanced. There were no women on staff at that church. It was just men, and there was natural distance and natural space, and the thought of actually communing and talking with Jesus felt really uncomfortable and felt like, why in the world would I do that as a woman? Um, But my family transitioned when we moved and relocated to a different church where this issue was handled so differently. And at this church, I saw women praying on stage. Um, This church definitely had some very traditional views, but at the same time, there were women teaching in Sunday school, women sharing their stories, women helping to lead and plan mission trips. There were women involved in leading teams of community outreach. I had women on staff with my youth ministry, and I remember the very first time that a woman on staff in my youth ministry came up to me, walked across the youth building, and not only remembered that I'd mentioned a uh, family member walking through a divorce and that uh, we were going to yeah. be helping them move that week. And and she walked over and said, Hey, how'd that go? And that taught me more, about Jesus in that moment than I think any experience in the church ever has, because she came across the youth building to talk to me. She remembered and showed me not just what I could do mattered, not just Mm -hmm. how I could serve, but what I was experiencing had value.
0: And who you are.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it was one of the first moments when I thought, oh my gosh, I'm valued here. And, oh, my goodness, Jesus, you actually care about what I'm experiencing and not just how well I can serve in this church kitchen right now. And in that church, I got to see women lead, whether that was through communicating in sign language during the service. You know, women using their their gifts and talents in so many ways. Um But I experienced being ministered to by women. I experienced learning about women in Scripture. And it opened my eyes to a God that I didn't know yet, to a God that had value um, for women and had a story for them. And I knew through that experience that that was what I was called to do. I was called to be the girl who walked across the youth building And asked a girl a question and said, hey, I care about who you are because that expressed so much to me and to teach about those women in scripture.
0: Yeah. And that's a completely different view than what you had originally grown up with. Right. Yeah. So, like, with that transition, like, you having such a, like, sometimes I like to shy away from the, like, subjective words like better, but a a better, a healthier Mm -hmm. version of. Like, well, biblical it femininity, was <laughs> it was better. Like, with having a better understanding of what a woman's role in the church is, a, a, a biblical woman's identity is, Yeah. Um, tell me some of the ways you're actively involved, again, uh, involved in teaching and serving mm-hmm. in church and in ministry.
1: Yeah. I think primarily that this is still such a sticky issue. <laughs> and in so many circles, I'm involved in... Seeing a very, very traditional view of femininity is still very sacred. And so I think that the most influential way to see change take place is in relationships. And I'm so thankful for the women who have really stepped out for me. Um, Sarah Bessie, I'm such a huge (laughs) fan of. And and she speaks so openly on this issue and has been so catalytic in my experiences of sharing her story and got to meet her recently. We cried together. She's great. Um, And so I'm thankful for those women who have stepped out so much and said, hey, this is the truth about what Jesus has said about women. And I'm thankful for that. And I'm very honest about that in my blogging and as I travel and speak and teach, I'm very honest about, hey, Jesus loves you. And yes, you're a girl and he has an incredible purpose for you. Um, And so I see that as so important, but honestly, so much more in relationships. As I sit across the table at a coffee shop or at a restaurant or go on walks with, both girls and boys Mm -hmm. um this has been such a cool way the lord has worked because i only ever imagined this happening with girls is Mm -hmm. to sit across the table and i do this so often to say why are you limiting yourself there Mm -hmm. was a girl who feels really called to the medical field who was in tears because she was so lost as to how do i care for my family well and to ask her the question, why is that only your responsibility? You know, like, yeah. don't you want to find a husband that wants to work toward that together? And if you feel God is calling you to this thing, then won't he so abundantly provide? Yeah. Um. But also to get to sit across the table from boys and to hear some lies and some shame that they've experienced because of their gender, too, of, of hearing, yeah, you don't get to feel really passionate about dance or about film or about creativity. And you don't get to feel emotions of sadness and hurt. You only get to feel anger. Yeah. And hearing how limited their experience that they could express as a person was and being able to share like, hey, that's not God's heart for you. Um, That just as much as there is freedom from this picture that you as a biblical woman are only there to raise your family and to create beautiful things and to be pursued, you're job as a biblical man is not just to be silent and stoic like you have every ounce of the character of the image of God inside of you yeah and when
0: you submit to the Lord with that like
1: yeah
0: he's going to change you he's going Absolutely. to I, I used to have that um like a very I would say a very unhealthy view of what biblical mm-hmm. masculinity was mm-hmm. and I'm an emotional guy and I would feel yeah, which is great. like I would feel <laughs> shame about like uh-huh. Oh, like I'm very upset right now. Or, like, you know, like I feel like I could cry about whatever's going on. Yeah. And, like, eventually, like having all that pent up and being ashamed of being emotional. Mm-hmm. But again, going back to that submitting to the Lord. And I think that's huge that you have the confidence now and
1: mm-hmm.
0: are secure enough in your identity in Christ that you can go and sit with guys, because not many people do that.
1: Right right yeah and i think that's such a unique place we're in as the church right now is that when you go to any event if you go and travel and talk to to most churches and say what's your attendance like. There are so many more women than men. Yeah. That men are are walking away from the church. And it's unique that that for the longest time we've said, okay, only men can be in roles of discipleship to adults. But I've had incredible conversations sitting across the table from boys. And obviously there are boundaries and policies and procedures to be in place for everyone's protection. But at the same time, it's been so incredible to get to to walk with them. And I know that I've had some incredible spiritual mamas, but I've also had so many men step in to be a part of my life and to be voices of reason and truth. And yeah, I think as we talk about, You know, the idea of of men and and biblical masculinity. I love the picture of David in scripture that, Mm -hmm. yes, he was, you know, he was this warrior and killed Goliath. But at the same time, he had such a sensitive heart Mm -hmm. and he loved poetry but despite the fact that we are so comfortable quoting David all the time, we as a church many times haven't fully embraced being okay with a man who likes poetry and yeah. needs to express his feelings. Yeah. And so I think, you know, we've come such a long way but have so far to go of finding freedom in every gender. Yeah. And I think what I've seen so much is that that this is a tool that has been wielded so much more in the enemy's hand than the churches. It's a way that we have limited ourselves from being a part of the kingdom. It's a way that the church has been limited when we are only representing less than half of the church on our leadership teams and in our teams of deacons and elders. And and decisions are made without giving 50% of your church a seat at the table to Mm. weigh in on those decisions about moving forward. Like you even
0: said, more than 50%. Right. More right. than 50% of your, like, church attendance not and, having a voice.
1: Yeah. And at this point, you know, one in three families are fatherless. They don't have a male head of household. And if all of those decisions are being made with only males at the table in our churches, how many families are not being represented in our churches? Yeah. Like, we have got to create leadership teams and committees where women have a seat at the table, even for the sake of equal representation in our churches.
0: Yeah. How, how would you say that, um, the church, when I, when I say the church, I'm not necessarily saying your specific church, but right. how would you say the church has, um, responded to, uh, and been received like these actions or the, like what you feel like the Lord has called you to, how mm-hmm. do you feel like the church is receiving that?
1: mm Yeah, I think it really depends on the church, you know, and and that's the hard thing um, about the church with a big C versus the church with a little C is I have faced some difficulty of even expressing, hey, I am a woman and I feel called to ministry, of so many people saying, oh, like, let's find you a good pastor to marry or saying, okay, so you're probably set for the mission field, you know, of, yeah. of people really feeling like, because I'm a woman, their job is to step in and make that okay in some context, yeah. um, which I don't need. and I know the Lord doesn't either. Yeah. And yeah, to, to face those situations of people, being really questioning of okay like i'm not okay with a woman pastor so i'm not okay with hearing more about this for you on the other hand of sharing with people hey i want to go into ministry and i feel really passionate even about middle schoolers of hearing so many parents say thank you you know (laughs) because they're like i don't know what to do with mine and i get that um So, yeah, I think the church as a whole is doing so much of a better job of involving women. Mm -hmm. If you look at... Um, And even, I mean, we've had conversations about when it comes to the resource world, there are so many more resources for women than men. Yeah. Because this is an avenue where they've said, okay, girls, you can do it. And we're like, I'm here for it. You know, (laughs) like.
0: They've been so thirsty for it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, Kane and I have talked about in working in college ministry okay, we need to purchase these resources for students and having to work so hard to find them for voice and having to work so hard to maybe find gender neutral ones because they're such awesome ones for girls yeah. that we've set the bar so high. And so that's an awesome way that, that we've come so far where, you know, my heart so much in this is equality. And I hope you've heard that yeah. is I'm like, all right, boys, like, come on, you know, like step it up and, yeah. and join us in this of creating great resources.
0: And shameless plug. He reads truth and yeah. she reads truth <laughs> are prime examples of having.
1: And kids read truth.
0: Kids read truth. And like, yeah, yeah like, prime examples of resources available for anybody
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, to read. Yeah, yeah. Great
1: in print and digitally. Yeah. And, and that's a world I'm really passionate about and trying to to enter into kind of the publishing market a little bit is just being aware of there does feel like there's a huge audience for women. And, and that's awesome too because so many female speakers yeah. are in that realm who are traveling and speaking and, and I think we see the world of, of women's ministry and girls' ministry truly being catapulted. Uh, there are so many conferences and events for girls to go to. But I just feel really afraid of how much we are truly investing in girls and women when it's not met with true opportunity in the church yeah. to lead.
0: Yeah. And going off that, like with leading, what 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 is your response when someone says, well, Jesus was a man like, and like, and you I'm laugh, like, but you yeah, laugh, but right. that's a, that's a very <laughs> common like response or, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, just counter to the point of, Oh, but Jesus was a man. So therefore, and he had 12 disciples that were mm-hmm. all men. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the response to that? How does the gospel actually affirm the role of women in the church? And not only in the church, but in leadership and society in general, because that's, something that people look at and question.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I would say I I don't hear Jesus was a man as often as I hear that man was created first. Mm. But what you're not taking into account is that the animals were created before the man. Right. But we don't like to, and the land was created before that. And so many people don't want to talk about that either, you know? So we we can't look at that ordinance.
0: Or even the fact that man was not good by himself.
1: Right. Like, (laughs) don't you remember you needed us? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like, it's why the first surgery took place is that you needed us. Um, Yeah. And then hearing, like, Jesus was a man... I think so often I just want to say, don't you think I know that? Like, like I am pursuing equal education with most pastors. Um, And so I think that is one thing that's really hard for me is when you try to, to step up into what you see the Lord calling you to. And just to express as a woman in ministry, it's not easy. And we, you know, so many women have trailblazed before me and I can't express my appreciation and thankfulness to them enough. Um, But as a woman going into ministry, there wasn't an example for me to follow. I remember having some pretty specific questions about how does this affect my dating life? And how does this affect um, the jobs I pursue, the degree, the undergraduate degree I get? Like, what in the world do I do? And thankfully, I had a couple of really great mentors that I could speak to. but, But it wasn't like, you know, okay, I want to be a lawyer. And so I'm going to follow this person's example and meet with them. Because there aren't many examples of people who are in girls and women's ministry.
0: And the sad truth is, is because, a lot of them have to overqualify themselves
1: exactly. to get
0: to the same level.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, that's the thing is that it starts with people trying to correct my understanding of scripture. And I want to express, I didn't choose this yeah. <laughs> is my goal was never to go into ministry, but it was the Lord's calling on my life. And, and, and to come back to if your job as the person who feels the need to correct me is to first submit to Jesus then i would kind of push back and say yeah jesus was a man and tell me about what you submitting to him look like looks like as a man yeah um, and how did
0: he actually treat women yeah, when he was here and yeah, how did he exactly. honor them and like another thing i heard recently uh, was the fact that Yes, Jesus was a man, but he was entrusted to a woman. Mm. And, like, mm-hmm. not only was Mary the first person to be told, hey, like, I'm calling you to... I'm Like, you're going to bring my son into this world, but it was also... Oh, she's actually the one that raised him and was entrusted
1: Absolutely. with him,
0: like with his life. You yeah, know?
1: which is crazy. Like yeah. thinking about raising a perfect child, I'm like, I don't think I can handle it. <laughs> she might it. have the
0: easiest parenting <laughs> Yeah, <job. laughs> you
1: know? Yeah, but I think what I come back to so often is one of my favorite stories in scripture is the story of Mary and Martha and we use the story over and over again in women's ministry to say like don't be the busybody and just sit with Jesus but what we overlook is that what Mary was doing of sitting at Jesus's feet that was a position of discipleship that was a posture where she sat at Jesus's feet how people would sit at the feet of their rabbi And so when Martha stepped out of the kitchen and said, hey, Mary, we've got a lot to do. And Jesus said, no, I want her here. I want her at my feet. I want her sitting here. Jesus was saying, hey, women, be discipled. And yes, Jesus was a man. And he was a man that most likely did so much of a better job of valuing and discipling women than the person who's saying that to you. And so I would come back to, hey, how are you submitting to Jesus? Because I think if you came off of the power trip you're on, where you've taken advantage of your gender and allowed the enemy to empower you to feel like it's okay to say something like that, then I don't think you're truly sitting at the feet of Jesus enough to see the people around you in the right perspective.
0: Yeah. And I would, I would even say with that, like, I know the people that are listening to this that think oh like I don't do that like no one goes into it saying oh I'm gonna be overpowering and like right. use my power and like with an unfair advantage but like everyone needs to do a heart check of okay what is my view on this I'll be honest when I first came into college my view on this was way wrong
1: yeah same actually. I, I remember
0: <laughs> I remember having a conversation with one of my friends and I feel horrible about this but I remember mm-hmm. t- like telling her like Oh, like, since I'm the guy, like, even though we're friends, like, I'm supposed to be leading. And, like, right. and she was, like, what? And I was, like, like, it." that was, like, the first time that that had been, like, really questioned to me. And I needed a heart check with that. Mm-hmm. I needed to say, okay, like, is that actually true? And then right. going back and look at those verses, like, no, like, that was talking about marriage. And, like, yeah. I need to be submitted to the Lord. And what are the, like, that heart check of, like, what are the different voices and different avenues of influence that have been speaking into my life all along mm-hmm. um how is how have I been interpreting scripture incorrectly how have yeah. I not been submitting to Jesus mm-hmm. like my will in my life to be able to actually open up that door to say oh no like can you're you're at that point you're 19 years old you don't have it all figured out <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like you know like yeah. that.
1: And I think that is so huge that, you know, the way that you experienced transformation was in relationship. Yeah. And I just finished reading Brene Brown's book about Braving the Wilderness, and, and she consistently says, you know, people are hard to hate from close up, so move in. And and in the church so often we we say these things that are so... Ethnocentric, but are also so centered on our perspective in the world that we live in, and we overlook the people that are different than us. And that's the value of surrounding yourself with diversity. And sure. that's why I see a church that doesn't have women on the staff making decisions as a church that's in danger because you are going to consistently make decisions that don't include the way that it affects women. Um, And, you know, I'm very passionate about this issue, but I even catch my own grammar as I'm talking about people in ministry, especially as I'm pursuing my Masters of Divinity in my papers. I'm talking about people in ministry and always using masculine pronouns. Yeah. Cause that's what I've experienced yeah. and, and, you know, similar to the journey of, of race of growing intolerance, like how do we move in so closely in these issues to where we don't just think of a topic, but we think of our friend and yeah. think of what would this convey to them? And I would encourage pastors to, to really move in. And talk to the women in your congregation and don't just see them as a threat to your marriage. That's one thing I hate the most in ministry is as soon as I, as I meet people, they immediately mention their wife or their girlfriend to me. And I would just love to be accepted as a person and have a seat at the table. Yeah and I'm promise I'm not there to threaten your marriage I'm there to see the kingdom of God expanded yeah and especially as a single woman in ministry that's hard because it's stigmatized of what's her agenda here
0: yeah
1: and I promise you my agenda is not to threaten your marriage my agenda is how can we work together to submit together to see Jesus's glory, to see yeah. the image of God best portrayed together as we are the church.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a charge there that you're giving to of how do we move in so closely to something that is like, how do I say this? How do we move in so closely to an area of controversy to the point where we can actually realize that we're wrong Mm. and actually realize that we don't have it all figured out whether it is with race or with uh gender roles that are misconstrued or the lgbt community and like how do we actually move in close enough to have our own agenda called on us to say oh i actually need Need to to check that i need to change like I think we're, we are filled with so much pride going back to the beginning of what we were saying. It's where that is something we're afraid of going into. Absolutely. And we don't want to be corrected. And mm-hmm. tradition, I love tradition. I think that's a great source yeah. of authority. But sometimes tradition's wrong. Yeah. Tradition is not the Lord. <laughs> like right. Or like he's, he holds true to his promises and he does have characteristics of him that will always be the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but his authority isn't only handed down through tradition.
1: Absolutely. And that's that's one thing I love about, you know, in the more feminist communities, they're saying that we're in this third wave of feminism that we see included with the Women's March and, and so many things going on in our more recent history. And this third wave is inclusive not just of women's rights but of racial rights yep. and of advocating for, you know, economic inequality and it's so much more inclusive of these other issues than solely you know some of the first waves we saw of the women's suffragist movements and and even the the sexual revolution later on the 60s and 70s and yeah so often we see tradition as a key source of authority in the church and if we look at similar to, to issues of race like like, look at what we believed as a church about race not long ago and how that was carried out. And those yeah. ramifications are still taking place in our churches every Sunday morning. Yeah, and, and, how- and to
0: have, like, a, I don't know, people say, oh, like, they, like, specifically on race, like, like those people, I've heard this a lot, we live in the South, um, like, but those people actually didn't suffer from slavery, or they, they didn't actually suffer from... Like, he's a a teenager, he didn't suffer from Jim Crow laws or anything like that, but it's like, no, but he likely has someone that he's met in his life that did. Absolutely. And and she actually has a great-grandmother that was still an indentured servant at a certain point, or was harassed continually, or to look at the actual grander history of, no, these last 50 years... I mean, we just celebrated MLK 50 yesterday. Yeah, we did. Yesterday is when that was still, like, that was 50 years ago yesterday when that was still a huge issue. Right. And to say, oh, but they don't suffer from that now is like, no, if you look at their exact single day. You need to move in. Yes, you need to to move in and see, oh, where am I actually wrong? Because then you can actually see, oh, this isn't just, oh, yes, our laws today and our society says that Mm -hmm. everything's equal, but look at the hundreds of years that have built up to that point where it's just recently changed and i think that's very similar absolutely. with women and how and gender inequality, inequality. cuz even in scripture jesus the way that he treated women was so radically different
1: and from I what say, the culture
0: was then
1: i would say is so radically different than the culture today
0: absolutely and i think that's that's the point i was making is like like so much time that oh like People say, oh, but everything is equal. And it's like, it's moving towards that. And it's this, like you described, this third wave of feminism, but it's also, let's look at the thousands of years of history Mm -hmm. that have built up to where it's actually just barely recently started to crack open.
1: Right. And to realize, you know, it's been less than 500 years that we've had rights to the medical decisions of our own bodies. And less than 500 years that we could own our homes and have rights to our children. And yes, we've made so many huge strides. But we have to realize that there is so much moving in still to be done. And to to even so practically say, like, like pastors, if you're, like, yes, you want to protect your marriage. And I'm in seminary classes and reading textbooks that are all written toward men who are about to be pastors and say you know when you are having a woman in your office have the door open make sure you have a window but what would it look like for you to break the social rules that Jesus did to sit with the woman at the well she was a woman she was a Samaritan and she was there at the heat of the day the whole town knew who she was and knew her history her infidelity but Jesus took the risk to sit with her And for those of you who are males in ministry, what would it look like for you to not be afraid to be seen at a coffee shop with a woman who has a peppered past and to trust God enough to protect your reputation to step out on the line? And yes, there is such a there's such a spectrum of needing to walk carefully and walk in protection of your marriage. But at the same time, there is a huge loss for the kingdom. If we focus so much on safety and limit what God can do, that we aren't willing to step across the line. Sure.
0: And how, how do, like, we said a lot of, like, what it should look like. And we said mm-hmm. a lot of what we, like, in Scripture, how we've seen Jesus treat women differently, how in creation... Like, man was not good enough on his own and that there was a suitable helper yeah. for him. Yeah. Uh, someone that was strong and equally bared the image of God. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about how it's supposed to look. How do you think we're supposed to get there? Like, mm-hmm. so this, uh, this crooked stick, just, like, how do we move to where there's this straight line drawn of there are equal rights? Yeah. There are, like... There is an equal voice, and an equal seat at the table for women. There is not this stigma of, um, like, man and woman. This always like this. Always this big question mark about protecting a marriage or yeah. um, they aren't. Uh, they aren't equal. They don't. They don't have a a proper voice. They aren't educated enough. They're not qualified enough. Mm. Um, how do we get there?
1: Yeah. I think there are a lot of steps to be taken. And and one of the first thing that comes to mind is, is how naturally for me this conversation goes directly to the church because that's my passion and that's my calling. Um, but this starts in our households. And so much more is taught in the living room than is ever taught in the church building because you're there every day of the week. And so I think it starts in in marriages, if that's the context you're in. Um, It starts in husbands. You know, previously, I think for so long, we heard husbands say, I'm the head of the household, but it looked a lot like what they quote on my big fat Greek wedding is, yes, the man is the head of the house, but the woman is the neck, and she can turn it whatever way she wants. And, And it looked like so much passive aggression, That led to manipulation that I think created a lot of the divorce culture we live in today. And so to instead in our homes every day as husbands and wives, if that's the context you're in, is to mutually submit to Jesus. And I think in how we interact with children to not just walk up to a cute little girl we see and say, you're so beautiful, but tell her she's smart. And tell her she's strong, because I wish somebody would have told me that. Um, to, as we're jumping in and serving in our churches, as Sunday school teachers and youth leaders, to allow the boys to have emotions and to be coached through that and not to feel shame for their emotions. And to tell the girls that they have so much more of a purpose than how they look. And how much boys give them attention based on their body. And that they have so much more than a supporting role to play. Yeah. And so I think it starts so much in our relationships. That that's where the transformation begins. And I think of, as, as I jump back to the church, is Sarah Vessi talks about in her more recent book, Out of Sorts, um, she talks about the people who stay in slow-to-change movements. And I think what we've experienced in our churches today is this divide of when you disagree with something, we as millennials, we love to jump ship and start our own thing and say, oh goodness, this church is so behind. I'm going to jump ship and we're going to create this new movement and this new church. But what would it look like to persist and to stay where you are and to be faithful where God's planted you and to advocate for that equality and to advocate for what you believe. And, you know, I, I live in a very small town in Georgia and, and there's not a church that is preaching women's rights really well. And to a point that I agree with, but there was one Sunday when a woman was asked to get up in the service and read the passage before we talked about it. And I walked up to my associate pastor and just told him, thank you. Because that expressed so much value to me. So how can we be faithful in those slow-to-change movements? Because we, in our instant gratification society, when we don't see change taking place, we think we either want to jump ship or give up. But how can we persist? And how can we not give up and not doubt the people that are a little ignorant and need to move in? And how can we pray for sustaining change that is going to take time and persistence. Yeah.
0: And how can we move in close enough to realize that we could be wrong?
1: Yeah. 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 And to be willing to, to maybe be seen as, you know, I'm sure that there are people in my church who are like, goodness, like, Why does this always have to be a women's issue? You know, like, Mm -hmm. why does she always come back to that? And I don't ever want that to be an idol in my life. I want to always point to Jesus first. Mm -hmm. But do I continuously advocate for gender? Yes. And are there influential people in our church history who continue, like Martin Luther, he continued to advocate for biblical literacy. Martin Luther King continued to advocate for racial reconciliation and racial justice. And why can we not be those same people that not only pursue righteousness in our church, but pursue justice and to really stand in the gap for the generations to come so that they can grow up, our children can grow up in a world where they aren't limited because of their gender. And that's worth it for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, I have nothing else to add to that (laughs) because that, yeah, it's something that, I know that I'm not alone in having skewed views on things like this. Right. And this is a hard topic for people to want to talk about because mm-hmm. they might be afraid of moving in to realize that they might be wrong on something. Yeah. And I'm not saying that we have it perfectly, right? Exactly. Because like, right. we don't. But as long as we're submitting to the Lord and everything that we do and everything that we are,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he's the one that's going to make it right.
1: Yeah.
0: And, um, Yeah. Well, this has been a great conversation and uh, I hope that people are still listening this far <laughs> in. Um, I told
1: Kane I had a lot to say. Yeah, and
0: I. this is a topic that should not have taken a short amount of time to talk about because there, like, there's so much brokenness within it, but um, thank you so much for not only being here today to talk about it, but just for the work that you do mm. and for um, continuing speaking life into others and fighting for that equality because yeah. um, just being your friend and co-worker mm. has taught me a lot about mm. this topic, whether it's been directly or indirectly. And I just wanna say thank that. you um, because you have a voice. Mm. You do. Thanks too.